Hi, I'm Sean O. McCarthy, founding editor of The Comics Comic, found wherever you can type The Comics Comic into your electronic devices. Welcome to Last Things First, the show that asks comedians about the historic lasts and firsts in their lives as their comedy careers have blossomed, from young people with dreams to adult people living those dreams, or still dreaming. Questions both big and small are asked and answered. It's hopefully both amusing and illuminating. Jared Fried is a stand-up comedian based in New York City, whom you've most likely heard on one of his two highly popular podcasts, You Up, a dating and relationship series he co-hosts with Jordan Abraham of Betches, and the J-Train podcast, where he welcomes fellow comedians to help him answer questions and give advice to listeners on all sorts of topics. Since appearing as a new face at Montreal's Just for Last Festival in 2017, Jared's performed on The Tonight Show starring Jimmy Fallon, hosted shows on both Snapchat and Spotify, released a stand-up album in 2019, as well as a half-hour stand-up special on his own YouTube page in 2021. His debut Netflix special, 37 and Single, premieres in August 2023. But first, he spoke with me over Zoom about how he carved his own path in comedy through writing columns, what it's like hosting live streaming shows from the Comedy Cellar, and how he's already living his comedy dreams. If you like this conversation, please consider subscribing to my Substack called Piffany at piffany.substack.com so you can read bonus commentary on this episode, as well as more comedy news and insights. Thanks in advance, and now that that's out of the way, let's get to it! So, Jared, last things first. How old is too old to be called J-Train? Uh, never. Never too old. Uh, <laughs> it's a self-given nickname, so it's already... <laughs> a douchey, crazy, you know, uh, self-aware joke, I think. I mean, if someone doesn't know, I remember one time I was at the Comedy Cellar and like, um, and someone, I was filling in for someone. So they crossed out someone's name and wrote J-Train. Mm-hmm. And it was Michael Lawrence, who had been in LA, Mike Lawrence sitting down going, and he looked at me, he's like, are you going by J-Train now? Like, he was so disappointed. <laughs> he was like, is this your... Is this your thing? Is this your marketing thing? Like you, it was like he was so upset. I was like, no, they, you know, we're fucking around. They, they call me. Everyone who says J Train is, uh, is, is like smiling and laughing at me while they do it, which I love. I thought for sure it was a nickname you picked up in Needham or at Penn State, but <laughs> learning that it's self-given somehow makes it worse. it was self-given as like i didn't have a nickname and you know i was like it was like okay when i'm at my most cockiest you know douchiest uh understanding the joke of being that i would be like it's bring it in for papa jt you know the j train uncle j trains here and then i my whole life i was like there's no nickname for jared and it always left me upset and then I'll bring it back to the comedy cellar. I'm at the village underground and they have the band and you know, they have the piano player and the, and the drummer on the, on stage with you. Mm-hmm. And the piano player is red and red is fantastic and has become a friend over the years. Red comes up to me and goes, you know, I'm Jared too. And I'm like, what? And he's like, Jared. That's why they call me red. <laughs> I'm like, it was in plain sight the whole time. I had a, a cool, you could have been, been a cool musician. I could have been a musician. I could have been cool. I could play the guitar. You know, I could play. And now I'm stupid J Train. So, <laughs> well, I mean, it, it makes sense. Eleven years ago, so it makes sense in 2012 when you're with Bro Bible doing <laughs> dudes being dudes, right? 
but now well, I was never you- with them. I mean, when I was when I would do stuff on the internet, mm-hmm. I would always look to like I'm a comedian who's looking to put his funnies out to the world, and the internet is like anyone can find you. And you know, I'm doing stuff for that I would do to make my friends laugh, and. You know, then all of a sudden, you know, like people find you and then bro Bible and total frat move and, uh, and betches, which, you know, again, uh, you know, all of these names people would like roll their eyes at, but it's also stuff that, you know, at that, you know, when they were in their mid twenties and you were eating lunch at work, what are you going to read online? Oh, something to clear my head, something to put my brain on the shelf, you know? (laughs) Well, I guess my only point was J train makes sense when you're associating with brands like, Bro Bible or Total Frat Move. But when you're like the last time I saw you in person, you were co-hosting you up live at a packed house at the Palladium Times Square. Yeah. It somehow seems less fitting <laughs> there. I saw you on a podcast five years ago where they were asking you what your your dreams in comedy were. And you you said you didn't really have any, mostly that you just wanted to make money doing comedy. So five years later how much of this is stuff you could have possibly dreamed of happening? Well, I guess, um, you know, make money doing comedy. I, I understand that's what it sounds like, but like the goal, you know, the, the goal is doing it, working mm-hmm. as a comedian, you know, like I think like, uh, and we forget that as comics that like, you know, you're doing the dream, you know, you get to go on stage every night and you make a living doing it. Like, I think that's, that's pretty these are not low aspirations, but pretty simple and make something that can feel so complicated and so hard, just a little bit more simple. Like, and it gets, it lets you go, Oh my God, like I'm doing it. Like I get to go and do the new hour in Raleigh this weekend and people are going to come out and, and I'm feeling fulfilled from being able to put out stuff and people laugh and get, Again, make a living doing that. I think mm-hmm. um, you always have to keep that in mind because this is a fun thing. And sometimes I think, you know, the people that end up, you know, progressing and doing more, they keep in mind, this is fun while it is something, you know, you a career you want to have forever. Like, I want to do this forever. So, like, you know, with the Netflix special coming out, like, it's a dream come true to be able to extend my career and it's, and make and and keep the ball in the air, you know, like, and do the next special, you know, you get, you have to do the first one to do the next one. You know, Tom Brady, when they ask him what's his favorite championship, he says the next one, you know, and I, I think that with stand up, what's my favorite joke. The next one I get to do the next one I write, you know, I, I really, that all sounds hokey and, and, and cheesy, but it is really the way I try to keep my head straight with comedy and stay on task and keep excited about the next thing and the next show and the, you know, the next step. Right. But if you were to go back in time and, and be able to, to say something to young Jared in right. Happy Valley at Penn State <laughs> and uh, and tell him that someday he's going to have a stand-up comedy special that's on a platform that was delivering you DVDs in the mail. Right. <laughs> and that this coming weekend, you're going to be hosting a show at the Comedy Cellar, but it's going to be live streamed into 48 movie theaters across the country. Right. What would, what would Penn State Jared think of this? I would think it was crazy. I, I, I didn't, in college, it was no, I didn't know what I wanted to do. You know, like I just wanted to, 
I was having fun with my friends and enjoying college in the way that, you know, in the way that privileged people get to enjoy college. I'm very privileged. I'm very lucky. That version of millennial that was told you go to college for the experience, which feels stupid now, you know, but you would say I'm going for the the life experience, getting away from home. And I wanted to go to a Big Ten school because I like football. Like, you know, like these all sound as an adult. You go, what, what are you even thinking? You know, like, <laughs> um, you know, yeah, I, I look back on that and I'm like, that was it. But um mm-hmm. You know, I, I, if I was to say like, oh my God, you have a Netflix special and I'd be like, well, are they going to mail you a Netflix special? I'd be, I, you know, I'd have so many questions, but I guess right. I would, uh, I'd be proud of myself. I'd be like, uh, you know, if I look ahead, look back, I'd be like, you really, that you're, that's your job. You know, like, I would, you know, like you get to go and travel the country, make jokes and right. you're going to be, you know, I, I, because I wasn't that person who growing up, I I went to actually my dad and I went and saw um, George Carlin late in his life. We went and saw Seinfeld together, but it was never like, oh my God, you know, I love Seinfeld. I love, you know, this is George Carlin. He was, and you go see him live and you knew this was a big moment, but I I wasn't the person like who thought of this every day since they've been born. You know, I, I, my thing was I love being funny for my friends and I love ball busting with my friends and making them laugh. And I was like, all right, how do I do that and make a living doing that? You know, right? I, I was I was telling you before I hit record about my own family's connections with Massachusetts, with uh, Penn State, and with the insurance business. Those are three things that most people don't choose naturally. I mean, you obviously don't don't choose where you're born, but you you told me why you chose Penn State, party school, Big Ten, football. Yeah. Why Why was insurance the thought out of the game? Um, and why New York? Don't care about if your you're going to if you're going to sell insurance, why New York City? I mean, you could sell insurance anywhere, right? I just wanted to be in New York City again for like the same stupid reasons I went to Penn State. Like that feels stupid now. I was mm-hmm. like, young successful people go to New York. That was my thought. That's not what now, mass holes think. Well, well, that's a very <laughs> mass holes. Mass They're like, why? Why don't you go back to bot? What boss is not good enough for you? Right. You think you're better than us? It's not good <laughs> enough for you. Um, you know, I'm from Needham, which is small town. My, you know, I, I, I don't know. I just was like, I want to be around other twenty somethings doing stuff. You know, like, and you know, uh, like I, I think also my family was always in family businesses. So, like, I think there was a lot of, like, my dad being like, go away, get out mm-hmm. of here, you know, get away from family stuff and make your own way. And, you know, I, I'm very close to my family. I don't know if that's, you know, uh, some comics. I think there's a comic for every background, to tell you the truth. I think it's the most, you know, it's it's definitely the most um, diverse workplace of all every, every type does stand up, it seems, you know, like, um, so, you know, I was always close to my family and always liked hanging around them. And I remember telling my dad and mom, I was like, I got to do, I, I got to do this comedy thing. I, I got to do something. And they were both like I, more supportive than I think I could be. Like I, I'm a judgy asshole. They were just very like, okay. And to my dad, he was like, and then this goes back to like, you know, <laughs> sounding like someone who's like, I just want to make money doing comedy. I don't, I don't really look at it that way. I hope it didn't sound that way, but it, you know, I think my dad was like, Oh, you're starting a business. Like you are starting. And I kind of felt like it was going to grad school at that point. Like I was selling life insurance. I really wasn't happy. It wasn't for me. 
I was jealous of the people who liked it because there are mm-hmm. people who like doing that job. And then I was like, I'm going to go create my own curriculum. And I went and took, you know, sketch writing and improv. And I, you know, I reached out to DC Benny, who is hilarious and a wonderful comic. And he, you know, and I was like, hey, tell me, you know, give me some insides tips. Like, what do, what should I expect? And how do I even write a joke? I didn't even, you know, whatever. And so that's kind of how it all began. But that, you know, when I was doing insurance, it was like, it was just a more a New York thing. I wanted to be in New York. Okay. Was, was DC the per- the first person to really kind of mentor you or who really stepped in, in the beginning? Um, you know, DC, I, you know, was coaching, you know, he was, I was paying him, you know, like, oh, I was okay. like, you know, so I was like, Hey, like a personal and, trainer for, for comedy a little bit. And it was more stuff that like, I, for- it was, you know, you can go take a stand up class. And I was sure. like, I, you know, and I was coming from doing selling life insurance. I was in like a big group of people that were like, go call, call, go, you know, do dials and all that stuff. And I was like, I didn't want, I just wanted someone to tell me what the truth was. You know, like, and I think DC was great for telling me, like, he always, he's like, you know, as far as like, I was like, do people, the people that, you know, sell tickets on the street, do do they get taken seriously? You know, like, what about like a a bringer? Like, what's a bringer? You know, like, where you bring five people and you can do five minutes. So this was like a nice thing to like, he was like, yeah, don't do that. He was like, don't do the bringer. You know, they're not going to take you seriously at the club when you eventually want to be at the club. And I'm like, oh, okay. That cut through the bullshit a little bit. And, you know, Lenny Marcus was always someone that was so nice to me, or is someone who's even, you know, and DC still a friend and and became a friend through that. And Lenny Marcus has always been a good friend. And, you know, and then you have the people that you're around. Like, it's such a cool... Like, I love the community of comedy. Like, I, it, it, you know, I love hanging out and being around other comics and, you know, to see people who started with me doing, you know, great things, too. That's the coolest thing in the world. Who were some of those people when you started out who were your first friends in I the met, trenches? I met Nimesh Patel at my first ever open mic. That first ever open mic, I met Nimesh Patel, which was like crazy to think of. And then, and he seemed to like, in my mind, Nimesh knew everything, you know, like he, he was like, he he was a year in and I'm like, oh, this guy knows Al at all. And then I met Michael Che at like the pit open mic. I met Michelle Wolf really early on at the open mics. And, you know, these are people I still bullshit and text with and uh, have fun, you know, busting balls with today. Like, I mean, Michelle. Michelle, I ended up opening up for her um, like a hundred dates on the road before she taped her Netflix special. And she's been like, you know, Michelle went from, you know, is a friend, but also like someone like I confide in and, you know, care about. And she, you know, there's no one better at standing up than Michelle. So like, it's cool to be around those people. Right. But, uh, you know, I mentioned Bro Bible earlier. One of the things that's interesting to me about your journey is, you know, you, you mentioned having mentors like DC, Benny to tell you skip the bringer part of the of the growth experience so that way you're you're not wasting years on that but then you also through bro bible and these other brands you were writing columns doing podcasts you were finding this other avenue that was expressing your point of view expressing your comedy but you didn't have to compete with like 50 other or 500 other open micers for those same three spots at Gotham on a Tuesday. Right. Right. Yeah. That, I, I, to me, no one was hiring. No one was hitting me on the shoulder. 
because I, you know, I think also I, 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 I'm kind of, I think my comedy's broad. I think I, my comedy's meant to have fun. I'm not looking to go on stage and tell you about my traumatic story because I don't have a traumatic story to tell. And I think those stand-ups stick out earlier, you know, mm-hmm. and I think, you know, I was building, so I could go to me, you know, when you're not getting cast on stuff and you're doing auditions, but you're not like getting your packets aren't, you know, getting the top of the pile for whatever writing job. To me, the internet was like the great, you know, the, the great opportunity, you know, like you can, I can go be funny on a stage, the internet, and people can come to my little corner and like join me there. So again, I, I don't know if I would have done all that stuff if someone had hired me to do something else, I wouldn't have had the time, but like, I loved Bill Simmons the writer for ESPN. I love Bill Simmons. And he used to come out with columns every Thursday and I would look forward to them. So I was like, okay, I'll copy that. I'll do it every Thursday thing mm-hmm. that I'll, that maybe someone out there could hypothetically look forward to. And then I was like, I was listening to podcasts. I love talk radio. You're, you know, the Boston area, Connecticut area. I'm listening to WEI my whole life growing up. I love talk radio. And then I started listening to podcasts. I was downloading 15-minute segments of podcasts onto my iPod Nano. So I was like, why don't I do that? There could be someone like me that wants to listen to me talk about stuff. So I saw the internet as an opportunity. Like, now you see it. Like, with the clips and all that stuff. Like, to me, I've been doing versions of that since day one. You know, it turned into, like, me yelling at The Bachelor on Monday nights. Like, I yell at The Bachelor on my Instagram stories every Monday night. And it's my own show. You know, like there was a time where it's like, when do you get a show? Well, you got to get cast as the friend on the sitcom. That wasn't happening for me. I kind of saw that that was going away. Like to me, being on a sitcom right now to be on Abbott Elementary, that's as much of a chance as winning the lottery. Mm -hmm. You know, like so I was like, I don't have the confidence to believe I'll be cast on one of those things. So I started doing other stuff. And I was like, you know, the money will come if it's funny. You know, so I started the podcast like over a decade ago. And then I started, you know, I was always doing that type of stuff and was lucky enough to do, you know, kind of, you know, do it during the day and do stand up at night. And and I think when you do stuff on the Internet, it can get looked at as like, you know, the stand up community a little bit. We're a judgy community, of course. Uh, they see you doing stuff on the Internet and they're like, well, you're an Internet guy. So like that was always tough because. I was in the same open mics as everyone else. I was doing the same stand up, uh, you know, the rooms and as everyone else. So it, it, I, and people, you know, you don't want to get a reputation of like internet guy. Cause that cut has its own negativity that goes mm-hmm. with it, but you can't worry about that. I was just worried about like the people who like me, they'll come to shows one day when I'm ready. When you were starting out doing your version of Bill Simmons though, were you able to make money off of that? Or was it more doing no. it for the exposure to just, have pe- people from these other websites being able to tap in to see what you were all about. I was always, it was always like 50 bucks a column or 25 bucks to like freelance. Cause I didn't want to work for them. I wanted to do stand up. I wanted mm-hmm. to do my own thing. And I, so I would barter retweets and Instagram posts. That was my, <laughs> I, I see, you know, we live in the follower economy and that's more apparent now than it was then. Right. But I was always living in the follower economy when it came to like, and and again, and that's why like some I'll have people respond to my Instagram stories. This is so funny, and then they don't follow me. I'm like personally offended. I'm like, you know, I see it as like, you know, like I do see 
a little bit of an economy there. So I, I, I've been doing that since minute one and then, you know, podcasts start getting ads and things like that. And those things come along, which is nice. How important do you think looking back, it was for you to be able to be flexible and to be able to adapt because you were taking your columns to these different sites, but also the podcast was evolving. Like J train is, (laughs) is such a different thing from dudes being dudes. Right. Which is such a different thing from you up. Right. But if you follow it all the way through, you can see a progression. Yeah, you can see so a, a human being maturing a little bit, I hope. Um, but and, I mean, you didn't start off thinking, I'm going to be a dating advice guy. And then no. suddenly, now that's the thing you might be best known for. Right. I, 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 You know, when the dating advice started happening, I was getting emails. In the beginning, I gave out my email. I was like, hey, if you have any questions, because I love the Tony Kornheiser podcast, now podcast or radio show back when it was. And he would take emails at the end. And I was like, okay, let me copy that. And I started taking, I was like, I thought people would write in with funny emails and they started asking questions. And it was because I was going through the same part of life that they might've been going through. And I could speak kind of into this void. You know, you don't have to look anyone in the eye when you're doing a podcast, except the person you're talking to, you know, and it's, you know, (laughs) right. we, We can just look, we can turn off our screens and not have to deal with the judgment of someone. So I think a lot of people started writing in, they heard me speak honestly about things and in a way that wasn't judgmental and men started writing in. It was always men in the beginning. And they were to ask about dating because they were dating too. And, and the male emails weren't very interesting. It was like, I met a girl in a bar. How do I fuck? Like, you know, that was generally the vibe. Mm-hmm. But then when women started listening to podcasts, I was already like kind of, pre- you know, preparing in a gym of some sort to be a podcaster. And then also like taking these questions from men and hearing how they're thinking. And then women started listening to podcasts when like the murder genre came up, like when serial started, that's when women started listening to podcasts more and more. And mm-hmm. I also introduced the betches to like, podcast people to help them get their podcasts off the ground. So then they would be guests on my show. And when women started writing in, the questions were so depthy, so interesting. And then also I'm who they're asking about. So I had an interesting take because I'm like, Oh, I know exactly what this guy you're dealing with is doing, saying, feeling. So, and then over time you get better at saying it in a way that's edible and fun. You know, I think, especially I'm like straight guy talking about dating. Like it can be not fun very quickly. You know, it can, <laughs> it can go down a road and listen, sure. not to say I've never said the wrong thing. That's, you know, who, I was who at that show at, at the Palladium. <laughs> oh my God. You, it wasn't all, it. it wasn't all gems. There were some, no. there, were some <laughs> there were some awkward moments in there. Right. And you see it, you go, but again, it's all from an honest place. It's not a gotcha thing. You know, Mm -hmm. I'm not looking to get anybody. I'm not looking to like embarrass someone because there's, you know, we're looking to talk about dating in a really frank and open way. And then, so over time you kind of evolve and, you know, you learn how to do it. And honestly, like I wouldn't have it another way, you know, like I really, I, I love the relationship I have with the audience. Like it's very familial. You saw at that show, like, People are there to like, let's talk this out, you know? Yeah. Did the did the people from Betches, did they reach out to you before or after you had done New Faces? It was after New Faces. Okay. I did New Faces in Montreal. Um, 
I'll never forget it. Like, you know, Betches and I had a relationship before that. So, but then they were like, we want to start a new podcast called You Up. Or we want to start a new podcast about dating from the male-female perspective. Mm-hmm. And then what should we call it? And then we discussed, we kind of brainstormed and You Up became the name. And then um it was like November, six year, almost six years ago. This coming November will be the six-year anniversary. So, and that show, I always knew. I always knew that what I was doing on J Train was for a female audience and an enjoyable show. And I knew, I knew we had, I knew that the name J Train wasn't exactly inviting to a female audience. <laughs> and I knew if I could just get in front of the, an audience that would, that wanted to talk dating, that it would do well. And then you up comes along and now you're at the center of the bullseye. We're in Betch's audience who helped co-produce my special, like, and, Right. I thought, and when, I remember we taped the first episode. I'm thinking they're going to think I'm the biggest asshole on earth. Like I, I and I don't want to be, I'm not trying mm-hmm. to be me. The response was unbelievable. Minute one, because they were like, Oh, this is an honest conversation. This is dating in the social media era. You know, this is a, a real discussion that's going on. And, right. and it's not, not like morning radio discussion where it's no, this is <laughs> complete. No, this isn't like gotcha. And, you know, men do this, women do this, even mm-hmm. though it's a male, female show, it's more like, yeah, I'll tell you how I emotionally feel about these subjects. Um, You know, you mentioned how, how you up kind of magically started happening just a few months after you did just for last one show only faces. I also, uh can't forget it because that was that was not only a stacked lineup but i went back and looked at what i wrote and i remember you went up first and it was was, kind of a rough start of that showcase which is pressure packed to begin with you're up first the opening is rough there's the crowd's still not warmed up i think your intro was botched yes (laughs) did you have it like it was yesterday i remember like it was yeah i was so I mean, I'll tell you, I, I get a little emotional talking about it because I, you know, I think of it, I just talked, I do, you know, a podcast. I, I never shut the fuck up. I podcast all day long. Um, <laughs> Coming soon to Snapchat. Right, right. So I did New Faces Montreal. I'm like, here's my opportunity. My first mm-hmm. time in the, to be on stage and shown as a stand. And then they're like, you're first on the lineup. And I'm like, fuck you know you don't want to go first but i go it's okay that's not that's the least of my issues the the host of that night didn't seem to care about it being new faces in my opinion like i think when because they were canadian and i think when it's an american stand-up who's hosting the new faces i think they who has done new faces Mm -hmm. they know what the new faces are hoping for Right. <laughs> so that's my opinion of what happened is that it was someone who didn't really care about the show. Going When you're a host and I host, I hosted over, I've hosted over th- thousands of shows at the comedy Club, and good hosts care about the show going well. And I genuinely, if the show wasn't going well, I felt it was my fault. I think if you host new faces, you have to care that new faces goes well for these people. You have to give yourself to that. It didn't feel like that was happening. And so then the host doesn't really, you know, kind of like that happens. And then 
he brings me up as Jordan Freed um, or whatever. He, he botches my intro. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, God damn it. And you have six minutes. <laughs> and I'm like, and you can't just, I, I guess, I don't know if I would have done it differently today as a more seasoned comic, but then I'm like, do your act, you know, be respectful. I'm not going to like call out the host, you know, like, I don't know, maybe I would have had a different plan today. And I wore a suit. Cause I was just like, I'll wear a suit. Why not? <laughs> I'll get on Letterman. I have a right. suit. <laughs> I, I don't know. I put on a suit. I, I and looking back, I wouldn't have done that. Um, <laughs> I would have did been you, more myself. Did you have reps? I had yes. So okay. I did have reps, and so I go. I had a manager a, agent that time. Mm-hmm. So I run on stage and I do my thing, and I'd say the first two minutes were like getting trying to get people to like like not think I'm a douchebag, I guess. I don't know. Like, you know, and then it did okay. Mm -hmm. Um, In my opinion, I thought it went okay, but I remember getting off stage and going, that ain't going to change my life. That set is not going to be it. And I remember going to a stairwell, sitting in the stairwell, having like a little bit of a moment to breathe. I didn't want to be around the other comics I'm a realist. You know, I'm not delusional. I don't think every set I do is good. I also knew that nobody was going to watch that and be like, get them on NBC or get them on Netflix. I just knew it. And I took a few deep breaths and I was like, you got to, you know, I do believe in being a mensch. You can't be Mr. Miserable the whole rest of the weekend. I, you know, put on a happy face and enjoyed the rest of the weekend and had a better second set, which what didn't matter. That the only one that matters is that first one in the theater. And uh well, just in terms of like who's in the audience, yeah. Right. The second one is like suppose is like the fun one, and I ended up having a great set then. And that doesn't matter. The tree falls in a wood. And uh but I remember, I mean, that's a very pivotal moment where I'm like, what am I gonna do now? I gotta go back to the internet. You know, like I, I, that was my thinking, like go back to the internet and do your thing that you've been doing and keep growing your audience and you'll get another shot someday. And, you know, that's Betches a few months later uh, was like, let's do you up. And I didn't think of it as the opportunity it became because that put me in such a, a right. why, again, help build the audience. And, you know, I'm sitting here with a Netflix special coming out and I'm like, I, 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 I again, I wouldn't do it any other way. Right. It's like most people, when they show up at New Faces, they're hoping to get a uh, six or seven figure development deal with a network, you know, try to try to base a sitcom around themselves or get that or get that big supporting role or at least get Fallon or something or get a writing job on SNL. Because I know there's people from that class with you who did those things. You had that rough first set. You thought you had the fun second set that you think didn't count. And yet the year that followed, you started you up. Right. You did Comics Come Home, the big right. annual show at Boston Garden that Dennis Leary does. And then you did have a, a Snapchat game show. Right. So things did happen, you know, yeah. like, and it's just everyone has their own road and journey. And I, uh, yeah, I, I guess I don't even think, all I remember is just that feeling after that set of like, you're going to have to it, keep going. And this isn't, this isn't going to be the thing. I don't, I, I, I was like, it's funny you remember like how rough that beginning was. It was, and I was like, I was like, damn it. I wanted to walk away, just feel like I did everything I could. And I was like, ah, maybe I missed 
an opportunity to have an opportunity, you know, like, mm-hmm. and you know, the tonight show ended up coming years later, you know, like, um, but I will say this about new faces and, you know, everyone says it isn't what it was like, that's it. I, don't, I to the point where I don't think it was ever what it was. Like, <laughs> <laughs> right. It's always five years down the road. People are like, Oh, it's not what it was five years ago. Right. I think the people have been saying that since the first new faces, they're like, Oh yeah. no, you should have been here. You know, whatever. <laughs> So, when there weren't even I, faces, right, 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 <laughs> pre faces, man. Oh, everyone took home a million dollars. You know, I don't think that was, but you know what it is. It takes away the and what I've learned, and again with like doing a special on Netflix, like it takes away. Well, have they done this? You know, like it's just a, it's a more of a rubber stamp. Like there's so there's no promotions in stand up comedy, and we have to kind of invent our own and like getting new faces. That's a promotion. Just the way people view you, the way you view yourself, you know, doing the comedy cell promotion, you know, like, uh, you know, doing the Tonight Show promotion, you know, Netflix promotion, you know, and it's all about, again, to come back to it of like, I want this to be the rest of my life, a career, you know? Right. So are you are you truly kind of living the dream now or still? I'm having the best two weeks of my life. Pre-special comes out. I get to live. I get to live here dreaming about what baby audience can come from it and how people are going to like it. And, mm-hmm. you know, reality hasn't hit yet. This is what's better than this, right? Like, and, and this is the, this is, the, you know, the, this is the week before the trip. Oh, the trip is going to be amazing, you know, and uh, I'm I'm trying to enjoy that, you know? Yeah. Are you going to do anything special for the Regal Cinema live stream shows? Your family could go to the movie theater and watch you, right? <laughs> right. Have, I, have I, you I, been? I, have you been? It, this would be your first movie credit. Technically, this is my first, right? This is technically my first movie credit. Liz of the Seller sent me a picture of what it looks like. It mm-hmm. looks unbelievable. It's very cool. I have new material from the special that I've been doing at the Cellar the last couple of weeks. So I'm happy to have a new set. You know, like I'm happy that I can do some new material and I, I, my, my big wish for it. And I think the cool part about going to the comedy cellar and if you're going to make people feel like they're in the comedy cellar, I hope it's just loose. I hope the audience is loose. I I really hope it's this like loose fun thing because that's when the seller is at its best. When you feel like you're at the ground level of a new bit or the, you know, the, you know, the first few times the comic has said it or something happens in the audience. So I, I, I think when, Cause I've done a bunch of those mint shows and when they're like, I've had friends text me afterwards and people from that follow me, text me or DM me and be like, Oh, that was great. The, you get the DMS about like, Oh, that thing with the audience and the, you know, that new thing that you were kind of stumbling through was cool. And people do appreciate it. So I hope we can be loose and fun. Right. That spontaneity where you, you realize, Oh, this is really just happening at this show. Right. This is, this is the only place on earth at this time. Yeah. That's the fun part of a live show is, Let's watch the tight wire act, you know? Well, Jared, uh, I really appreciate you uh, taking some time with me in this calm before the storm and uh, keeping it loose. I really appreciate it. This was uh, a blast. It's it's nice to finally meet you in in in, in Zoom, Zoomified world. <laughs> and uh, this is uh, great. I really appreciate <laughs> you having me on. Thanks so much.
This episode of the Comics Comic Presents Last Things First was post-produced by Alex Brazell at Showburst Studios. The music was by Camille Harris and Shockwave, logo by Giggle Chick. If you enjoyed listening, please check out my substack called Piffany at piffany.substack.com for transcripts, bonus commentary, and expert analysis about comedy, show business, and more. I'm your host, Sean O. McCarthy. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.